Susan, butcher box to the rescue. The other night we had some friends over for dinner and we had no idea what to make. And I was like, guess what? We have a freezer full of meat. So my husband went down and thought out some chicken from butcher box and made the best cocoa van that we've had in a long, long time. Yeah, you'd have been screwed without butcher box because I know you ain't got no time to go to the store right now. That's true. I don't have time to go shop for meat or pick out the meat or find the best quality, low-priced meat. So ButcherBox does all of that for me. So true story, my husband's workplace has a Slack channel called Smoked Meats. And I know you can't like win a workplace conversation, but he is now because with ButcherBox, his great cuts of meat to the door, they can cook up and take photos of for his workmates. <laughs> I love ButcherBox and I think other people would too. ButcherBox is the ultimate convenience, delivered right to your doorstep, free shipping always, with curated, customized box plans. It's 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork, raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. There are a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value with exclusive membership deals. They also provide recipe inspiration, guides, tips, and hacks. Sign up at butcherbox.com proof and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer, plus an additional 20% off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com proof and use code proof to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. If you're listening to this show, then I'm going to guess you're a fan of True Crime Podcasts. So in the mornings, grab your favorite mug and pour yourself a dose of spine-tingling true crime every a.m. with Morning Cup of Murder. It's a short daily show that's the perfect podcast to incorporate into your morning routine. In less than 15 minutes, you'll hear about a true crime that took place on today's date in history. Each day's dark history lesson will kickstart your morning with intriguing tales of murder, abduction, serial killers, cults, and more. So pour yourself a piping hot cup of murder every single morning with Morning Cup of Murder. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Not long before season one of this podcast first aired, Lee Clark faced a tough decision. When I met Lee, and when I began working on this podcast, he didn't have any legal representation. Then last year, the Georgia Innocence Project took on his case. And as his attorneys, they had concerns about whether being on the podcast could carry serious consequences for him. Their concerns, unfortunately, were not unfounded. For people in prison, appearing on media like this can carry huge risks, both for their court cases and for the lives they have to leave behind bars. I was told that after talking through the possible dangers to him for being on the podcast, Lee didn't think it was a good idea. That evening, Lee called. I thought he was calling to tell me that he couldn't be on the show. I thought about the whole walk down here. After I told them I was going to tell you not to put it on there, and then I thought about it, and it just got, I got more and more pissed off the more I thought about it. I said, you got a body. I'm worried about somebody giving me permission to put the truth out there about my damn life. I mean, Jesus Christ, I mean, you've been standing over me with your damn foot on my neck for 25 years. How about you get your foot off my neck and let me breathe? I couldn't promise Lee that the podcast would help his case in any way. I couldn't promise him that the podcast wouldn't hurt his case in some way. But what I could promise was that with the podcast, his story would be heard. That he would have the chance to tell his own story. I want my part out there too, Susan. I want people to know it. You go ahead and do what you do. 
and I, I'll tell them I'm, I won't go ahead and get it out there. And, and I'm so worried about it. Probably gonna be mad at me about it. Just blame me. No, I'm not gonna blame you. I'm not gonna do that. I don't put blame on mother. I'm gonna put it where it belongs, right at my feet. But it was my decision. Lee decided that he would be on the podcast, whatever the consequences might be. And it was that decision, I think, that ultimately made what happened in Rome, Georgia last week possible. Hi, my name is Susan Simpson. I'm an attorney and podcaster, and previously I hosted the Undisclosed podcast. Hi, I'm Jacinda Davis, and I'm a true crime TV producer. This is episode 18, Made It Home. It is the final episode of season one of Proof. After you listen, don't forget to go to our YouTube channel at Proof Crime Pod to check out videos that accompany this episode. At the time of our previous final episode, Lee and Kane were once again serving time together at the same prison, after Kane got transferred to the same place Lee was at. For the first time in many years, they saw each other in person again. That didn't last long, though. Shortly after, they were both transferred again, and Lee ended up at the same prison that Joey Watkins is at. It had been Joey who introduced me to Lee back when I was working on his case for the Undisclosed podcast. Joey called me one day when Lee just happened to be nearby, and Joey started telling me about Lee's case, apparently guessing that if I were to hear the story of the Freebird gang, I'd get curious and want to hear more. Joey's plan worked. Hello? Hey. Hey, it's uh, Lee. He goes by the name Lee. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's over here. You know, the two of us have been to one, two, three different prisons together. We've been in the same dorm at every prison. His case is super messed up. Can I talk to him? Is he? Yeah. Hold on one second. Let me get in. Hold on one second. Hello? Hi, Lee. Hey, Susan. That conversation happened nearly five years ago now. And all the time since then, Joey's case still hasn't been resolved. His attorneys filed a habeas on his behalf back in 2016, when the last episode in our season on his case aired. But since then, his case has been up and down and up again through the appellate system, and years later, we're still awaiting a final ruling. So if Joey's case is any example of how much time these things can take, Lee and Kane had a very long road ahead of them. But Lee and Kane had something Joey did not. After listening to our podcast, the family of Brian Bowling had become Lee and Kane's biggest advocates. They began contacting anyone who might listen and wrote letters to the parole board in their support. Then, Brian's uncle, Michael Baker, tried to contact the Floyd County District Attorney's Office. So I called, and the lady there, you know, I told her the Brian Bowling case from 96, and I was the uncle of Brian and wanted to send some information to uh, to the DA's office to review. And she would not give me the email address, told me I wasn't allowed to have it, and uh, couldn't mail anything or it would be returned. I'm like, wow, you know, I think of what I do now. The woman who answered the phone told him he couldn't submit any materials to the district attorney's office. But she did offer Brian's uncle one option he could try. The lady was kind of nice all in all because she did say there's one thing I can't do. I'll transfer you over to uh, to the DA's office and, you know, maybe she'll call you back or maybe not. Michael was transferred to the district attorney's voicemail and he left a message. 
I didn't really think I'd hear back, but probably 10 minutes later, she called back. But, uh, yeah, she said that uh, she would not be reopening the case. But she was telling me, you know, that do not believe podcasters all just a bunch of liars. She was saying that she had so much trouble with so many podcasters coming in, you know, wanting information that we shouldn't talk to podcasters. Matter of fact, she said, uh, you got years of family. You know, should have never talked to them. Uh, never been interviewed. And she said, matter of fact, if they call you back, call me immediately and I'll handle it. And I'm like, you know, we talk to them voluntarily. So, you know, I'm not asking you to do anything, you know, to the podcasters or anything like that. But she told me straight up that she would not take a letter from me, uh, would not give me the email address and said anything that was sent to them would be returned. But they definitely would not reopen that case. I mean, you could tell in her voice, she was very, very upset. You know, she was like, we got the conviction for you and your family. You guys should be glad that we got the conviction for them. You know, and the boys are where they should be. Oh, wow. You know, I just want you to listen and, you know, review the case. Is all I'm asking, you know, just to, to listen and review it. She said, absolutely not. It was not a promising start. But Lee's attorneys at the Georgia Innocence Project were already busy pursuing claims on his behalf. They filed a habeas petition in Coffee County, Georgia, and also an extraordinary motion for a new trial in Floyd County itself. There was a real concern, though, about the strength of those legal claims. There was, of course, Angela Bruce's recantation. Angela Bruce's testimony was the backbone of the state's entire case. And we now know that that testimony had been coerced by the detective's threats to take away her children if she didn't cooperate. But under Georgia law, Angela's recantation held no legal weight, not unless and until she was first prosecuted and convicted of perjury, and then sentenced to life in prison, because that's the penalty that conviction would hold in a first-degree murder case. And then there's Charlie Childers. What happened with Charlie's testimony was a gross injustice of some kind. But it defies any easy characterization. We think it likely could be shown to be a constitutional violation of some sort. There are a few possible options there, but it's the sort of muddy legal issue that would undoubtedly take years of litigation and appeals for the courts to ever resolve. And that Lee would indeed face years and years of litigation here became clear when the Attorney General's office moved to dismiss Lee's habeas petition. The AG's office argued that Lee should have discovered all the problems in his case within four years of his conviction becoming final. It was Lee's failure to exercise due diligence that caused these issues to not be discovered sooner. Therefore, Lee is prohibited from ever complaining about them again. In its motion to dismiss, the AG's office took the position that, so what if Angela Bruce was coerced by police to falsely implicate Lee and Kane by threatening to take her children? Because, to quote the AG's brief, there is no reason why Angela Bruce could not have been interviewed either before trial or before the motion for a new trial was denied, especially since Angela was a testifying witness at trial. Same thing for Charlie Childers. There is no reason, the AG's office argued, that Lee could not have simply interviewed Charlie back then at the time of trial, and discover then that he never saw Lee running from the Bowling's trailer. As for any documents that prove police misconduct, quote, Petitioner could have obtained any such investigative notes pursuant to the Open Records Act once his conviction became final on July 12, 1999. But when we tried to obtain the records through an Open Records Act in Floyd County, 
we were told they couldn't be found. There are exceptions, sometimes, to this rule that says inmates only have four years to discover misconduct in their cases. It was the 2019 decision from the Supreme Court of Georgia in the Joey Watkins case that showed that. But finding out if Lee's case would be one of those exceptions would take years of appeals and hearings. So while Lee had lawyers from the Georgia Innocence Project who were willing to fight a long, drawn-out battle, Kane's story still had no representation. In our last regular episode of Season 1, we put out a call for any attorneys who might be interested in representing Kane. The next day, we received an email. If Kane still needs an attorney, I'd like to offer to represent him. The email was from a Rome criminal defense attorney named Luke Martin. One thing we do a lot while investigating is sign up for newspapers. Local papers all over the country try and track down some scrap of info from, I don't know, the random 2007 edition of the Memphis paper, just for hypothetical example. (laughs) Hypothetical. But the problem is we always forget to cancel those subscriptions. Luckily, there's a solution for people like us who sometimes lose track of things. And that's Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, you get full control over your subscriptions and a clear view of your expenses. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. That's amazing. That's that's all I want in life, is for someone to always deal with customer service for me. It's like having a personal assistant. Rocket Money has over 5 billion users and has saved them over $500 billion. And saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash proof. That's rocketmoney.com slash proof. Rocketmoney.com slash proof. Every day in America, 60 million packages are delivered. But we don't always know what's inside. He bent down to pick the package up. That's when the device detonated. Danger is everywhere, and no one is safe in Austin, Texas, as law enforcement hunts a serial bomber for 19 days. From Sony Music Entertainment, Campside Media, and Pegalo Pictures, this is Witnessed. 19 days. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts to binge all episodes, or listen weekly wherever you get your podcasts. In the 1970s and 80s, a monster hunted the Connecticut River Valley. Seven bodies found, one survivor, and no suspects. I'm Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. I was seven months pregnant and stabbed 27 times, and I survived. My story didn't end that frightful night. This attack on me physically and mentally lingered for years. I'm Amanda Bedard, and I'm Jane's life coach and co-host of Invisible Tears. Jane is ready to share her story, and not just about her attack, but her healing process afterwards. 
As a platform for truth and healing, we are on a mission to help others that suffer from PTSD and help bring awareness to mental health issues. To hear my story and others, you can find Invisible Tears wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. The first time I spoke to Luke, he told me his thoughts on Kane's and Lee's case and possible strategies they could use. Afterwards, I got in touch with Kane. There's an attorney interested in helping you, I told him. I really think you should get in touch with him. Kane did, and Luke became his attorney, along with co-counsel Ross Hamrick. Ross is actually an attorney with the Floyd County Public Defender's Office, but he was loaned out to assist with Kane's case. And in November, Ross and Luke filed their own extraordinary motion for a new trial in Floyd County. For nearly two years now, the Floyd County DA's office had insisted to us that their file in Lee and Kane's case could no longer be located. Then, Lee's extraordinary motion for a new trial was filed. And mysteriously, the very next day, the DA's case file turned up. Apparently, the file had been in a room called the Big Box Room. And perhaps because we never specifically asked them to check the Big Box Room for the file, because we didn't know a thing called the big box room existed, the DA's office never realized that that's where it was. So when we found out the file existed, we were thrilled. Now, this file was not the complete case file. There's still a lot of material that remains missing, but in the DA's file, there were some recordings for some of the interviews police had done, including the party hostess, Angela Bruce. That's how we finally got to hear Angela's original statement to the police the one that helped send two boys to prison for 25 years. The young guy was in in his bedroom. They walked in there, and they put a pillow over his head. They were arguing and scuffling, and he fell on the bed and put the pillow over his head and shot him in the head. And also how Lee Clark had confessed to his role in the crime. Did he brag about any detail about it? He just said it was it was uh, done execution style. Did he give a reason why the boy was shot? He, they said he knew too much. And how it was because of their membership in a gang that they had to kill Brian. They're in the Freebird gang. What did they say about the Freebirds? That they don't let nobody out alive if they know too much. Did they talk about their rules if they talk to the police or pigs, as they put it sometimes? Yes, if you talk to the pigs, you're dead. That's straight up. We also finally got to hear Angela, in her own words, tell her three different explanations of how Kane and Lee left her party that night. Version one. About how long did, did Kane stay at this party? Till it was over, till about four o'clock in the morning. And version two. I made them leave. I actually got a knife after them because they didn't want to leave, and I made them leave. And version three. Caprice came up to my door and asked for them. She has blonde hair. Did she hang around with Lee Clark or Josh Story? Yes, she did. She went, She they left with her. Okay. And another accomplice. I don't know what the other did girls they- It was this interview that started it all. Lee and Kane were arrested a few days later. And as for that blue pillow that Angela was talking about, 
the one that convinced the jury of Lee's and Kane's guilt? Well, we've finally seen that too. Ross Hamrick was able to dig it up from the evidence locker it had been lost in. And it was just as underwhelming as expected. There is no bullet hole in the pillow. There's barely even a hole at all. There is a tiny, tiny burn mark on one side of it, but it's barely the size of the head of a ballpoint pen. I remember when a photo of the pillow was finally texted to me. I looked down at my phone and just started laughing. It was truly that absurd. And then I remembered that this is what put two boys in prison for two and a half decades, and it stopped being so funny. At the same time all this was going on, there was another investigation happening too. Although the Floyd County DA had promised Brian's family that the case would never be reopened, the DA's office had no choice but to look again at it when the extraordinary motions for new trial were filed. That's when the assistant prosecutor assigned to the case and a DA investigator began their own investigation. They reviewed filings, examined the case file, talked to witnesses, and a few months later, they came back to Luke and Ross with some important news about their plans for the case. I couldn't wait for Lee to hear about it. The next day, Lee called me, thinking that he was going to be the bearer of bad news. He'd gotten word that, unfortunately, it would be quite a while longer before a hearing could be held on his motion for a new trial. Evidently, they've done check the court calendar, and there's nothing available before the end of the year, so we're probably not going to be in there until next year sometime. Not sure exactly when that'll be. Yeah, that's what you heard? That's what, uh, no court dates available before the end of the year. And uh, So that's not entirely the case, though, because you're on the docket for December 6th. What now? You're on the docket December 6th. I'm already planning my flight down there. Yeah, explain to me how all this works right here. What, what, what does it mean here? What are we doing here? So I talked to Luke last night. Right now... The plan is for you and Kane to walk out that day. That day. That's that's the plan. I hope I hope like hell to have Susan, but I just I don't want to put my my hopes too much on that right there. I know, and I wouldn't be telling you this unless I felt really good about it. Uh, you really could be coming home in four weeks, and it's not a done deal. I can't tell you it's a done deal, but it's so close. You sound like a man getting bad news, not being told he might go free. No, no, it's, it's not. It's not bad news. It's great news, Susan. I just don't. Uh, my mind is my mind is racing on me. It's racing a thousand miles an hour. I, I think about all the possibilities, all the stuff that I've been dreaming about doing for decades now. That I might actually get around to doing it. As much as Lee wanted to believe what I was telling him, he was skeptical. I just assumed just keep this between us. Mm-hmm. I just assumed assume not even involve my dad in it because I just don't want to get his hopes, hopes really high because if I mean it's going to be bad enough for me to go through the devastation, I don't want to put him through it too. Kane called me as well after he'd gotten the news from his attorneys about the upcoming hearing. If you got released on the 6th, do you have somewhere to go? Uh, yeah, I'm going now. I don't actually. I just not do. I mean, I, I can't get some place to go. I mean, if I'm a free man, I can go anywhere. It don't matter. For decades, Kane had never needed to plan for anything. He knew what all of his tomorrows would look like, sitting in prison, watching the years roll by. Now, for the first time in a very long time, 
his future was uncertain. In the end, Lee's skepticism turned out to have been warranted. In cases like this, complications have a habit of arising, and this case was no exception. In late November, Lee's attorneys came down to meet with him and gave him the bad news. The hearing on the extraordinary motions for new trial had been canceled. Uh, They told me about it last weekend. (sighs) Oh, well. Yeah, well. It's not over yet, but... Yeah, I didn't tell them, but I don't feel too hard about none of it. I'm sorry, Lee. What it is. I've been doing it all this fucking time. I'm going to keep doing it. Instead of a hearing on Kane's and Lee's motions to overturn their conviction, there would now be a meeting with the court to discuss when another hearing might be scheduled. Sometime in the spring, maybe. And neither Lee nor Kane would be able to attend in person. I told Lee that, despite the setback, Kevin and Jacinda and I were still planning to be there in Rome for the scheduling conference. I don't think you'll have to come down here. I don't believe you have to come this way. There's nothing going to happen. I told him we'd be there anyway, and he responded, I don't see a point in that. Well, we do, I told him. Later that night, Joey Watkins called me. I told him what had happened with Lee's case. He's gonna, I'm gonna get him up here to dorm with me. I got him, don't worry. He's like a brother to me, you know that. Yeah, I was just getting worried, but he seemed more down than I've heard him before. I got him, don't you worry. Glad he's there. Yep, he's gonna be just fine. Cause I've been on the road he's going on. Yeah, <laughs> you certainly have. So, he's gonna be okay. If there's anyone who knows about the setbacks and crushed hopes that are encountered along the way towards exoneration, it's Joey Watkins. I hated that I'd helped get Lee's hopes up, only to have them crushed again, but I felt better knowing Joey was nearby to help him through it. And even though the hearing had been canceled, last week Jacinda, Kevin, and I made the trek down to Rome, Georgia. You know, just in case. All right, well, we are back in Rome. Sitting at the Hawthorne, which has become a home away from home, waiting for Kane's attorney, Luke, to come meet us. Yeah, I was just thinking that we pulled up to the Hawthorne. I'm like, oh, it's like I've lived here in the past year. It does feel like we lived here. We are currently awaiting news about a hearing that is scheduled for tomorrow, Tuesday the 6th. Back before the hearing had been canceled or switched to a status hearing, we made plans to meet with Kane's attorneys, Luke and Ross, the day before, so that we could finally meet them in person for the first time. And they've been on the case since basically July, is that right? Yep. And in that time, they've made an extraordinary amount of progress to get this case for Kane, which was sort of non-existent, into a courtroom. Yes. Luke has been in touch with the district attorney's office. Um, we are hopeful that... And then maybe we can, I think that would, oh, he's here. Luke had texted me earlier saying that he came bearing news, but we weren't sure exactly what. Well, we are here with Luke, who is Kane's attorney. Yes. Who has had some sort of meeting today. How about you fill us in? Because we've been looking at Right, sure. So the, you know, we filed our extraordinary motion for new trial a little while back. So the actual prosecutor on the case, Emily Johnson, 
she uh, she asked me to come over there just to give kind of the update of what is going on there. And she said that they are going to consent to our motion for new trial. So this is happening? Yeah, it's happening. And, uh, you know, they're not going to be here um, Tuesday. So what we did is I called the sheriff and asked him if he could go pick them up if we could have the hearing on Thursday. And he said yes. So we're getting Judge Niedrak to sign the, or asking him to sign the, uh, the production order today, tonight, and then we'll give that to the Georgia Department of Corrections tomorrow morning and the sheriff's office, and they're, they're going to send deputies to go get them. So they'll be here for a hearing um, to exonerate them at 2 p.m. Thursday. Holy cow. <laughs> Wait, so what happened? Like, how did this all evolve? Uh, well, you know, they've been pretty silent yeah. uh, for a couple weeks about it. I talked to them a bunch, the DA's office a bunch, throughout the process. And I kind of got a feel for it that this is what they were going to do. Um, but then they've started doing their own research. They had a chief investigator on the case, the line prosecutor on the case. They both listened to the podcast. They interviewed witnesses. They brought in David Stewart. And chief investigator Scott went to meet with Angela Bruce, and, he's, and apparently he did meet with her and, and talk to her um, last Monday. Wow. So... Um, so they've been doing their own homework on it and you know double checking everything and checking your work and uh um yeah just came to the conclusion is the right thing to do i guess <laughs> <laughs> so they could walk out on thursday mm -hmm. they, as, as you understand it, they will walk out yes. on thursday um and so have you spoken to kane about no i just sleep? learned I, yeah. I learned you know right before i walked over here so about five minutes ago Ross doesn't even know. He's, <laughs> he's walking over now. Here's Ross coming now. He, like I said, he doesn't even know. So, <laughs> um, yeah. What's going on? Hello, everybody. Hi. Hi. Sorry, I was uh, in trial. So you you don't even know what he knows. No, he was actually he was texting me. So I was like, oh, let me let me get over here and see what's going on. Yeah. So uh, in Emily's office, she said that they are going to consent to the motion. So I called the sheriff, and he's willing to go get them so that they can be here in person Thursday. It was happening, for real this time. Sheriff's cars would soon be dispatched to pick up Lee and Kane and take them back to Floyd County for the hearing. Kane, if, you know, at least when we started this project, I don't think he ever thought he would get out. Yeah, I, I think he's resigned himself to this. Yeah, this so this is all kind of new for him. Lee's always held out hope. Kane yeah. agreed to do it because he thought it might help Lee. He keeps saying he, that he's gonna, he's getting out of Georgia. He's getting out of Floyd County. I don't think he knows what he's gonna do, but uh, he's gonna be a rock star. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. I don't know. I mean, he's he got his paralegal certificate. I mean, he was he's really really good. He's unusually good at the law. His his edge argument was great. Yeah, he's his. His original uh, extraordinary motion for new trial that was never technically filed was actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah. On the phone earlier today, he was telling me about his ideas for uh, federal habeas to get around some of the limitations there. I'm like, Kane, we can discuss this later if need be. <laughs> Luckily, no plans for federal habeas would be needed. Later that night, Lee called me from prison for the last time ever. To accept charges, press 1. To refuse charges, press. You may start the conversation now. Hey. Hey, you heard the news yet? I have. I've been crying like a two-year-old. Lee had called his father earlier that evening, not expecting there to be any news. And then his dad had told him, son, you're coming home. I might have been waiting on this so long, Sue. Mm -mm. I never thought I'd see this day. 
Yeah. What'd your dad tell you? He uh, broke down crying like a two-year-old toaster. I waited a long time for this day right here. Meanwhile, Kane hadn't called anyone that evening, and no one had any way of getting in touch with him. So it wasn't until he got in touch with Luke the next day that he got to hear the news. Tonight, last night in prison, buddy. What? We did it. It was Kane's last night in prison, but not his last night behind bars. Kane and Lee were both transported to the Floyd County Jail, where they would spend the night waiting for Thursday's hearing. So you'll be in the Floyd County Sheriff's Office patrol car tomorrow morning around this time, headed back to the county jail. The state has reviewed the file, reviewed our motions. They agree that there was fatal errors in your case. So they have consented to our motion for new trial, and they are not proceeding on murder charges. So you're going to walk out Thursday afternoon. Kane gave us a call right after he got the news. He was still trying to process it. Hi, Kane. I cannot wait to meet you in person on Thursday. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't know. It's surreal. That Thursday, the courtroom was packed with Lee's and Kane's supporters. All rise, please. Law Superior Court is now in session with Honorable Jack Niedrak presiding. Good afternoon. Please be seated. We call this case State of Georgia versus Darrell Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story. We're here today. Both defendants have filed extraordinary motions for new trial. What is the state's position on these motions? Uh, Your Honor, this case obviously presents an unusual and rare set of circumstances. Uh, after thoroughly investigating the newly found evidence presented in the defendant's motions, uh, the state is consenting to the extraordinary motion for new trial. What is the new evidence? Can you summarize it? Yes, sir. It would be the testimony um, of Angela Bruce and that of Charlie Childers. There's something in there about threats, uh, uh, defects coming in and taking someone's children. Yes, sir. That had to do with Angela Bruce. Well, these defendants have spent the last 25 years in custody. I think this occurred when they were both teenagers. Is that correct? And now you're in your 40s, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Cindy Salas. I wish I was in my 40s still, but <laughs> so you have a many years ahead of you, and I hope that you will use your time in a productive manner. And uh, it's amazing to see the amount of support that you have. An order had been prepared that would dismiss the convictions of both Lee and Kane. There was a catch, though, and a pretty big one. After Lee's conviction was dismissed, the prosecution null prossed the case against him. They would not attempt to retry him. But for Kane, the Floyd County DA's office wanted something different. Yes, the prosecution agreed he should not have been convicted of murder. They were willing to have that conviction dismissed. But only if a new conviction was entered to replace it. Defense and I have prepared a consent order to that effect. Uh, we would ask the court to sign that order. Um, and then after that, we would ask the court to allow 
Kane Story to enter a plea to the lesser included of count one of involuntary manslaughter. The plea deal was for one count of involuntary manslaughter, predicated on the fact that Kane had committed a misdemeanor on the night Brian died. Kane was 17, a juvenile, and he brought his father's pistol to Brian's house, which means he violated Georgia's statute that prohibits someone under 18 from having a handgun. And because this misdemeanor set off the chain of events that led to Brian's death, the state wanted Kane to plead guilty to involuntary manslaughter. If he'd been 18 at the time, there would be no crime here at all. It's only because he was 17 that the state was able to craft an involuntary manslaughter charge against him. So Kane had a choice. Either he and Lee could remain in prison serving life sentences for a crime that the prosecution now fully acknowledged they were innocent of, or he could go ahead and take the plea they were demanding. He agreed to take the plea. Do you understand your charge in this case that you're pleading to? Yes, sir. And do you understand that upon your plea to this charge, the maximum sentence is 10 years? Yes, sir. And obviously that's already been served in full. Yes, sir. So you'll have no further sentence as you leave today. Yes, sir. So how do you plead to the charge, guilty or not guilty, involuntary manslaughter? I'm guilty. As part of his plea, Kane was given an opportunity to address the court. He started by saying that going forward, he wanted to be known as Josh, the name that Brian had known him as. That's why, although we've referred to him as Kane in this episode and previously recorded audio, Going forward from here, he'll be known as Josh. For the record, I want to say my name is Kane Joshua Story, but from here on up, I refer to be called Josh. Josh, I put Kane to bed. For over two decades, Lee and I sat in the prison for a crime that never happened. And today we get redemption. And for that, I would like to thank the district attorney's office for acknowledging our innocence and the Bowling family for their grace. My name is Kim. Thank y'all for y'all's love, support, and kindness throughout this process. I fully admit to bringing the gun down there that night, but I had no intention to cause anyone any harm, especially my best friend, Brian. But I do understand that if I had not taken the gun to Brian's house, the gun just went out. I was arrested when I was 17 years old, and now I am 43. I've missed most of my life, but even though I've lost 25 years of my life, today I'm going home to get back the life that I lost. But what hurts me is Brian never will. Because of my own actions that night, I lost my best friend. And that's what hurts the most in all of this. Is that Brian never got a chance to win. I love you, Brian. Thank y'all, man. Y'all are going to Merry Christmas. The DA's demand that Josh plead guilty to something was frustrating and sad. The criminal justice system has already stolen decades of his life from him, and he's now starting his life from scratch at 43 years old. Why go to such lengths to make that even harder for him still, by saddling him with a felony record? But even this sour note to the proceedings had a happier result than expected. Does he qualify for first offender? He does. Are you requesting first offender? Yes. Mr. Story, first offender status means that if you successfully complete your sentence, which you will do automatically upon the completion of this court proceeding today, you'll be discharged without an adjudication of guilt. Okay? Judge Nijak, who presided over the hearing, applied Georgia's first offender statute to Josh's guilty plea under which a conviction for a first-time offender is suspended until any sentence is successfully served. 
at which point the conviction is erased, as if it never existed in the first place. And since Josh already finished serving even the worst sentence he could have received on the involuntary manslaughter charge well over a decade and a half ago, that means his conviction ceased to exist the moment the plea was entered. In effect, Josh was exonerated twice in one day, and going forward, he, like Lee, has no criminal record. At Lee and Josh's hearing, something else happened that was really remarkable, something you don't see often in exoneration proceedings. Brian's family, his uncle and sister, stood before the court and made statements in support of the two men who had once been convicted of murdering him. Michael Baker, I'm the uh, uncle of Brian Bowen. Just want to thank the courts for speeding this process up. The DA's office for pushing it through really fast. George Davis, the project, along with Luke Martin, his team. I want to thank Susan and Jacinda for reviewing this podcast, opening up the case where we can see a different light on the case. We do believe that the boys are innocent. They've been there way too long. And we do appreciate you guys taking a look at this and letting these boys out. And we wish you guys the best in life. You know, you have a good, prosperous life. And God is the reason we're here. My name's Amanda Floyd, sister of Brian Bowden. I just want to say thank you all for everything that y'all done this speedy process. I want y'all to know that I believe y'all are innocent. Y'all spent too long in there. I'm sorry for that. I want y'all to know that y'all are going to be okay. Things are going to work out for y'all. And we love y'all. Also, my mom, dad, and my brother would be very happy about the situation now without them. And we hope y'all get to come home today. All right. Now, I know, again, there are a lot of family and friends in here, and I ordinarily wouldn't do this. But if you want to applaud the defendants and all involved, you may do that at this time. and Mr. Clark, again, I wasn't there in 1998 during the earlier proceeding, but today I'm the face of the judicial system here, and on behalf of the judicial system, I regret the earlier verdict and wish you the best for the rest of your lives. Thank you all for being here. I don't think the matter. We're adjourned. Josh and Lee were exonerated. They were now free men. Well, almost anyway. Before they could be released, they had to be sent back to the county jail so that they could be booked out. I rode with Lee's father, Glenn, over to the Floyd County Jail, where we were expecting Lee and Josh to soon be released. I'm a cloud nine. I'm telling you, y'all can't imagine. But I tell you, I'm, let me tell you something, I cried like a newborn baby. It was just before he arrived at the jail that I got a text message from Josh's attorneys. Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the jail is now saying they won't be able to release them till the morning. Oh, P.S. Come on, can Luke Bart not do nothing? He's working on it. That's wrong. Why can't that judge do something? That's wrong right there. 
That's wrong. Hey, why are you going? They're free men. Here in the morning, eight Luke's. Luke's in there right now, trying to rattle the cage. Somebody's got authority to open the door right over there and let them boys go. They done, they already, yeah, the the judge done told them, they, they, they free, they free. Yeah. Well, we are at Floyd County Jail. We are hoping that Lee and Kane can still come home tonight, but because of some paperwork errors, they were not booked out before 5 p.m. and some part of the process did not get completed that needed to be, and they may not be coming home tonight, which, you know, they're free men. That's, that's what matters, but it would have been really nice if they got to start the freedom tonight and not tomorrow morning. Um, it's not over yet. Everyone's still here. Uh, I know that Lee's and Payne's attorneys are inside working on it. We later found out that it took nearly two hours of cross-agency negotiations and conference calls. But it was the Floyd County DA who was finally able to get the bureaucratic mess untangled. Some poor employee at the Georgia Department of Corrections was on his way home from work when he received a call asking him to turn around and go back to the office and click the one last computer button that was in between Kane and Lee and their freedom. Finally, at the jail, the door opened and Kane and Lee stepped out to greet their family in the entrance room of the county jail. Hey, going to be a real adjustment. After being slowly hugged to death by friends and family, Lee and Josh eventually made their way outside of the actual jail itself. And I was able to catch up with Luke and Ross, Josh's attorneys. Well, they're free. They have made it a full 10 steps out of the jail. <laughs> by the morning, it should be like in the parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> I told them when they were in there, I was like, you're still in jail. Go outside. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, I'm like, y'all. Yeah, the deputies let uh, Lee and Kane press the last unlock button for the last door. So they let themselves in. Susan, Kevin, and I were able to spend some time with Lee and Josh in the days following their release. I mean, it is really shock. Been behind prison walls for 25 years, and walk out and to see how the world has changed the way it has in 25 years. I'm trying to adjust all of it. He was telling me on the way over here. He said he's uh, pretty impressed how I've seen to be adjusting pretty quick, but uh, inside uh, got a little bit of nerves going. I'm trying to stay focused and just have it one day at a time. Lee and Josh are still learning to adjust to their newfound freedom. So how's your first full day? 
It's it's a shock. I just went to pulled up at a service station with my dad. And he said, I'm going in. He said, uh, you want to go in here and get you something? I said, just get me something, man. I ain't even going in. He said, you sure? I said, I'm positive. Why not? I was still in shock. He's still in shock. Well, that's another reason I didn't want to go to sleep really that night. I was afraid I might go to sleep, wake up, and it all been a dream. They are taking it one day at a time, the same way they made it through the past 25 years. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know how I stayed as headstrong as I did over the years. I really don't. I mean, I had my dad support me, but it's not like he was there with me doing it. I'm having to do this by myself in some real slaughterhouse prisons, too. I'm watching them roll them out of there every day. I know Cain had it worse than you in a lot of ways. Yeah, it did. Uh, I hope we don't get mad at me for telling y'all this, but I imagine when y'all talked to him, you noticed this scar tissue in the side of his eye right here. That's where a guy took a knife and hit him in his eye with it. Cut his eye open. He's got cut marks all the way up his legs from shank. This horse, the stuff that goes on behind prison walls. It's not like you were just sent away and sat in this empty blank room for 25, 26 years. No. No, I was thrown right into the midst of all of it. Right through the gates of hell I walked. And now, Lee has walked out of those gates and into a world that has changed immeasurably since he was last part of it. He spent his years on the chain gang preparing for this day. Do you think you're ready for the, the daily grind of the nine to five? Like in prison, you're not responsible for anything other than just surviving. Oh yeah, but I'm in good enough shape I can get out there and work. Yeah, that's why I keep myself working out, keep myself in good shape, try to eat the right foods, stuff like that. The nine to five, I'm gonna love it. Putting money in my pocket, it's my money I'm making, oh, I'm gonna love it, yeah. For Josh though, this new reality has been a much more unexpected twist of fate. I thought I was gonna die in prison, I really did. I never thought I would ever see the free world again. Lee's attorneys and Josh's attorneys have all started online fundraisers for them. Josh and Lee literally walked out with nothing, only the clothes they had borrowed for the hearing. Check out the story notes for this episode, as well as our social media for links to those fundraisers. One year ago, when I first started speaking to Josh, if I ever asked him about his plans for the future, he'd shy away from the question. I don't like to think about that, he'd tell me. Or sometimes he'd say, I think I finally like to go out and see the world. It wasn't until recent months that it seemed to sink in for him that, wait, this really might happen. And now that it finally has, one of the first things that Josh wanted to do was to go play guitar again. So we took him to a guitar shop in Rome. Yeah, that's nice. That is nice. I need a pick. You have a picking guitar? Yeah, I got some picks. Sure. Well, they need me tuned up. How about this? Yeah, I like that. This is pretty good. See how this one's nice. It needs to be tuned up. I do too, maybe. It needs to be tuned up. <laughs> hey, I can sing field song with this.
shop, I got a call from a Georgia prison. It used to be when I got these calls, I never knew who it was calling me until I answered. But with Josh and Lee now out, there was only one person it could be. Joey. Hey, boy. Hey. What you doing? Uh, same old, same old, brother. What's going on? <laughs> Not much. What Look, you doing? Sit here playing this guitar? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can still play. That's a good thing. Hey, look, bro, I appreciate what you did for us. Listen, we're going to be at that courthouse. All right. We want you out. Look, look here. We're going to that Georgia-Florida game next year now. It's the last one in Jacksonville now. Okay? Well, maybe by the grace of God, I'll be there. You're going to be there. You're going to be there. Because we got to get out and play guitars together. Yeah? Yeah. I'm going to teach you how to do this thing right. Let's we'll see how it goes. I can only imagine how bittersweet this must have been for Joey. I knew how excited he'd been for Lee and Josh when he heard about their release. I was the one who told him about it. But Joey plays guitar too, and hearing Josh out there in the free world playing a guitar again could not have been easy. Because Joey's court claims have been pending for the better part of a decade now. While Lee and Josh, who filed their own motions just a few months ago, are now home. Two very different outcomes, even though their cases have so much in common. The prosecutor who convicted Joey also helped convict Lee and Josh. It was Sergeant Dallas Battle whose testimony was used at Joey's trial to convince the jury that he was a liar. And it was Sergeant Battle and investigator David Stewart both who interviewed the alternate suspect in Joey's case and accepted him at his word when he denied any involvement. So yeah, Lee Clark knows what it's like to be where Joey Watkins is now. I tell you though, it uh. It breaks my heart sitting here because I know where he's at right now, what he's going through. Because if anybody knows his pain, feels his pain, I feel it because I was there. And that's not a good place to be. Because uh, you sit there and it's like, it's just like it's total darkness, no light. And it's hard to find any hope in it. And it's easy to lose hope, real easy easy to lose sight of things. But I do want him to know, though, that he don't need to lose sight. It's all going to work out. 
Any day now, the Supreme Court of Georgia will issue a ruling on his case. And when they do, if they find in his favor, his conviction will be overturned, and Joey will be heading back to Floyd County, where he will face trial once again for a crime he could not have possibly committed. And when he does, proof will be there too. That's all for this season of Proof. We'd like to give a special shout out to a few people who helped make it all possible. Thank you to Skylar Park, our social media manager who worked tirelessly to promote and share Proof. A special thanks to Mitch and Reeves and his wife Linda who hosted us for countless meals while we were in Rome. And to the front desk staff at the Hawthorne, as well as Ryan and his crew at Off Broad who took such good care of us. To Donnie at Giggity's who won't make you a cocktail, but will make you laugh and to Austin, who we met on our very first trip to Rome, and to our families back home who supported and encouraged us along the way. Thank you. And it goes without saying to Amanda and Michael and Josh and Lee, who opened their hearts to us and trusted us to take another look at this case. A very special thank you to the Georgia Innocence Project and to Rome attorneys Luke Martin and Ross Hambrick. We are forever grateful. And to the Floyd County DA's office, who agreed to dismiss their convictions. Thank you. Stay subscribed for updates. We'll be back in April 2023 with a new season. You've been listening to Proof, a podcast by Red Marvel Media. Kevin Fitzpatrick is our executive producer. Our logo was designed by Drew Hasoski. And our theme music is by Ramiro Marquez. Audio production for this episode is by George Panos and Michael Ulatowski. Production assistance provided by Jude Slava. Our social media manager is Skylar Park. Thank you to our sponsors for making Proof possible. Follow us everywhere with the handle at ProofCrimePod and on our website, ProofCrimePod.com. Thanks for listening and welcome home, Lee and Josh. We're so happy you're free.